Heavenly Father, again and again, we are reminded by you to to come boldly. It seems so out of character for us to do that. We're often humbled by your good hand of of blessing and uh, coming boldly to a throne seems sometimes difficult. But, Father, you've asked us to come boldly to the throne because it is a throne of grace. And there's so many blessings waiting for us there. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning. And there have been so many uh, thanksgivings and praises listed this morning. And we just so thank you for those and for everyone here participating this morning. Father, I, I'm thankful that you remind us in many ways of your good care for us and your promises for the future. And as Patty's referred to them this morning, that you ordain singing and praise by your creation. <laughs> we know there are many more songs out there than we hear, but you hear them, the entire creation. It seems, according to scripture, we learn that it is singing, even though it's under a, a burden of, of judgment, too. And that's an issue indeed. But that will be removed and the creation will sing forth someday gloriously without that burden as well as all those that dwell therein. So, Father, we so thank you for that promise, which, of course, is based upon your total victory over sin and death and its consequences. So, Father, we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for marriages that offer opportunity to reach out. Father, there are many requests as well that we've heard today, and I'm sure there are far more that will remain unspoken. But we pray for boldness to speak forth the word of truth, which can be used of you, Father, with great power in the hearts of many. And so we just pray for that, Father. We'll continue every day to pray for boldness. That we speak the words that some are ready to hear and receive. So, Father, as we open your word now, just just thank you. I thank you for the great opportunity we have to consider well what is written here in this great work of yours, the book of Genesis. Please help us, Father, and may you receive the glory and the honor in Christ's name. Amen. We continue today. We're in part four, considering uh, this particular theme in Genesis of divine election operating in the sphere of divine judgment. Many recoil at the use of the word election, um, sometimes for good reason, because some are promoting the doctrine in ways that are unbiblical that has been true down through the years 
so much so that many now who should have their hearts and minds opened have their hearts and minds closed and even the hearing of the word drives them away but uh, i pray father that to our heavenly father that uh, i would have the right words in that regard here today certainly the bible mentions election there's no question about that and when it's understood in its proper context it's certainly uh, an important doctrine to be learned and and to be often reminded of and in a certain way our theme in genesis is one of those that lays a foundation because genesis is first book in our bible that genesis itself promotes this concept of god choosing god working out his will by choosing some and rejecting others all were sinners remember that that's the bedrock truth all are sinners god rightly judges sin right and he could judge us all eternally apart from his wonderful choice okay so let's uh, have open minds and hearts regarding this i pray as we begin this morning and and uh, we'll move pretty quickly there's a lot to be covered but um, we shouldn't forget what's already gone before and that's that there's been written we may not have been aware of it until our studies here but there is written in the heavenlies a message and that message is concerning the coming seed of the woman the message of genesis 315 <clears throat> which of course is recorded in words on paper there because moses write it wrote it down when he wrote genesis and then it's been preserved through many many centuries and against many satanic attacks right it's been preserved for our benefit but that's not the only place the message is found originally it was also found powerfully recorded in the heavenlies and there are there these many evidences of that in scripture they're simply pointers to in most cases although there are a couple of verses that are quite specific that we've already looked at and i'll just quickly refer to today but but god's sovereignty over his entire creation demands that even sinners will often be brought to him in saving faith not all will be judged in the same ways right so what we saw a few weeks ago when we began to look at this theme i think that was three weeks ago that god at the very beginning chooses out some now we we saw that in reference to abel seth and then noah and noah's children and uh, their 
wives, right? There are three, the three sons and their wives. So God chose, the, chose them out when he brought judgment upon many, right? In the case of Noah's flood, he brought judgment upon all apart from those eight that were, were delivered, right? So what we've seen is uh, our theme revealed there on those pages often. So the theme is sin, the announcement of coming judgment together with a promise of deliverance. So judgment coming with a promise of deliverance. And then the judgment itself. In all these, divine election operates in the sphere of judgment in all of these. So, so the two go together. They fit together. God does not judge without delivering. In other words, he does not deliver some without judging. It's the one must go with the other. Logically, I think that's pretty clear. Unless there's a universalism of some court, case, in some way, either all lost or all saved, and we know that that's not the case. We saw also that looking at the genealogies, there's much to be learned about how long certain periods of time were, but not just simply the length, but what was happening during those times. And last time we did look at the destruction of a city. After Noah's flood, it said in the scripture that uh, many people traveled east. And they gathered in a certain place, many of them, and uh, ultimately built a tower there, a great building there. And uh, why did they do it? Well, I pointed out last time how the purpose was revealed in the building itself. The building, according to scripture, reached unto the heavens or towards the heavens and uh, in fact, I think the point of it all was that the people had rejected the testimony of God in the heavenlies concerning the creator, and instead they were worshiping the creation. We learned that from Romans 1, right? They were wor worshiping the creation, not the creator. Uh, and they built a tower of idolatry. And that tower focused on evil. It was not simply uh, an, a restatement somehow of some kind of mythology. There was evil being exalted and promoted there in that religious system. And that's what the people of the land had believed. And uh, they rapidly, it seems, within a period of, I would say, hundreds of years, and not, not thousands, but hundreds of years, created a city, and then, and, and then everything was focused in the center there, apparently on the tower, and God brought judgment as a result of it. Why? Because they had rejected the witness of God's redemptive plan as it had been recorded in the heavenlies. So in the heavenlies, you had the sun and the moon set for signs, according to Genesis 
early chapters, right? Signs and seasons, not just seasons, but signs and seasons. And those signs pointed to meaning, uh, in fact, to the story of redemption concerning the coming seed of the woman and prophesied in Genesis 3.15. Well, when Satan focused on that, his intention was to destroy that message. And so he did that in any way he could. Satan's always focused on the word of God to destroy it or to remove its power to influence the hearts of many regarding it. And so what he did was to begin to rename all of the stars and the meaning contained therein. So today, what you mostly have are Arabic names on those stars that don't reflect the original Hebrew meanings very much at all. And pagan mythologies, whether it's Greek, Roman, or even Egyptian and and so forth before that, uh, reflect that perverted, we can call it astrological view of what uh, is revealed there. So the heavenlies are no longer a reliable guide. One cannot go to an astrologer today and expect to get anything at all uh, of truth. You will only get error. Uh, many read astrologies in the paper. I assure you that that is evil. And I, by God's grace and mercy, never do it. And I hope you don't do it either. So the anthropologists and the archaeologists and uh, the philosophers and so forth of our day often say all of those mythologies, in fact, they would claim all the religions of the world are similar because they're all part of the same evolutionary uh, uh, development. But uh, the fact of of it is they are quite similar in certain ways. And the reason is they are perversions of the one revealed truth. That's why you have a flood uh, in the mythologies of the world, and many of them at least, uh, including American Indians, right? A flood is revealed. Uh, those in the Middle East, they, ancient times, uh, wrote of a flood destroyed all, except in some cases it says even eight, the, the, the exact number, right? And there are other things there as well. This is a perversion, though. If you go further into it, you see the rest of the story is, is quite contrary to the truth of God. So, so even today, there's still some evidence of the original revelation in the names of the stars. But uh, most of that has been perverted by Satan. So no longer is that witness reliable. But there is a witness that's still reliable in the creation. And Paul writes about that in Romans chapter 1. And he says, because that in verse 19, Romans 1, 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him, the invisible things of him, of the creator, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so then he goes on to talk about how that original revelation was perverted 
and in fact changed into a carnal religious system, which God must judge. And then finally, regarding those evil ones that performed that satanic work of perverting that revelation of God, he says in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed for ever. Amen. <laughs> then in Romans 10, and there's just these two verses, I'll read them again for you. We read them last time, but verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words their words unto the end of the world, okay? So he's saying all heard. Well, today many are in total darkness, but back then when that heavenly message was still authentically communicated, all heard it and they all saw it and they knew its meaning and God held them accountable. That's what that is saying there in Romans 10, I believe, quoting from, of course, the Psalms. Psalm 19 and so forth. Okay, so God gave the revelation of the heavenly sea. also gave a faculty, an ability within each person to comprehend uh, right from and to discern that. Uh, that's the compass of the conscience that was originally given, and it did operate correctly at the beginning. But then it was perverted as well. So it no longer operates reliably. Now what the conscience tells you is what's consistent and what is inconsistent. <laughs> and that's as far as it goes, right? The conscience has been severely hardened and damaged. We're sad to say. That's written of in Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 through 16. And in those Two chapters, Romans 1 and 2, I believe Paul is going back to those early dispensations of conscience and human government and so forth and talking about those and how even before the nation of Israel, even before the law, God held all accountable because he had given his revelation. Well, we'll skip over the actual destruction of Babel. That's in Genesis chapter 11. And we'll just quickly go on. Um, and that is to see how God called out a man named Abram. <laughs> uh, and I believe, I believe um, there's good evidence. It's not absolutely perfect evidence, unfortunately, but good evidence that when God destroyed the Tower of Babel, he, at the same time, called out Abram. This was in a different location in the same land, hundreds of miles apart. Babel was in the northern area on the river Euphrates, but uh, Abram and his family lived in the south, um, hundreds of miles away, and uh, in what's called uh, the land of, um, what is it called? Hmm. I'm forgetting it, in Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, right? It's all the same nation, as it were. 
So God up north destroys Babel and the tower of it. But in this destructive act of God destroying that, he also at the same time calls out, elects one named Abram, right? And you read of that right at the end of chapter 11, right after the whole uh, thing about the destruction of, of the Tower of Babel, how there were generations of Terah. Well, we saw from the genealogies that Terah was alive. While, in fact, Terah was born, if I remember right, only two years after Noah died. So Terah's father probably knew Noah quite well. Think of it. And they had an understanding of many things. And they were singled out all the way along because the seed of the woman would come through this this uh, family, right? So it says in chapter 11, uh, verses 31 and 32. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat, begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And then going on, verse 31, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. This is named after Haran who died uh, even back in Ur. Uh, and they memorialized him by naming the city they built there, Haran. And they dwelt there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Well, Abram, according to the next verses, Genesis 12, had been called out while still in Ur to leave behind family and to go into a land that God would promise and god would make of him a great nation right and uh and so that's in chapter 12 the first few verses the lord had said unto abram get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that i will show thee and i will make of thee a great nation and will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing so abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, according to verse 5, and into the land of Canaan they came. When? After Terah had died, because Abram was under his father's authority. Apparently, Terah agreed they were going to leave everything behind. I, I imagine, we don't know for sure, there's some evidence here that they were wealthy in Ur and left it all behind, surely because God had given Abram a promise. His father accepted that as the will of God, right? They left behind much, including many idolatries, uh, but not all. Those that had come to Haran were still idolaters uh, to some degree. We read about that later. It becomes a challenge later, right? Uh and finally, when Terah's died, then Abram takes everything, including Lot, uh, and they go off into the promised land, right? So judgment fell, but some were delivered. There you see our theme made clear that God's 
elective work is in the realm, in the area of, of judgment. The two go together. So there's a principle of division, and we're going to continue to see that today. The divine principle of division, <coughs> which proves the doctrine of election. Okay, today I want to look at Abraham further, the rest of his life, and Isaac. Next time, Lord willing, we'll look at Jacob and Joseph and see how our general theme here, this divine principle of division is revealed. So let's move ahead in that quickly. So first of all, the Lord promises to Abraham a vast land and an even greater nation at the time of Egyptian, Egypt's dominance. This is in chapter 15 of Genesis. And we see the great theme of division then revealed there. So I would like uh, Patty to jump right in there and read those seven verses in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look, now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Okay, thank you. And and now just to quickly go on, uh, Linda. Linda, would you uh, read from Genesis 15, <clears throat> verses 13 through 16? And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace thou shalt be buried in a good old age but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the amorites is not yet full thank you linda and so what does god do he reveals to abram something that was originally at least very strongly taught in the heavenly message, which was that God would bring forth the seed of the woman. It would come forth from a family, from a particular family and uh, heritage. So uh, he says, look at the stars. Well, anybody who's been 
able to see the heavenly canopy uh, without the light of earth obstructing one's view knows how dramatic this is. And uh, if you have no earth light or a city light obstructing your view, the magnitude of it is overwhelming, isn't it? The, the numbers are beyond astounding. Okay. So he says, look at this. Uh, you can't count these stars and you won't be able to count your offspring either if, uh, in uh, eternity future when it's all worked out according to my plan, right? <laughs> and so uh, Abram was told that he would have this great heritage. Earlier, he'd been said he'd have a great offspring, but now it's even greater. And the land is now much greater. Now it's a very, very, very large land. It goes all the way over to Egypt, to the Nile River, and all the way over to the Tigris and the Euphrates River. So you see it covers the whole Middle East. It's not a small little piece, a little strip of land somewhere over there, east of the Mediterranean, okay? It's far, far greater than that. And so uh, that's revealed to Abram and also some other very interesting things. Two nations are mentioned here, Egypt and that of the Amorites. And what it says is that both of them will be judged. So Abraham's calling out signals the judgment of others. In this case, his great nation, that comes from his loins will be set apart from those other two, which were great at the time ruling the world, right? But that would be diminished. But it, but the timing is also referred to there, 400 years in the one case. And that's so that even though God could judge them any time, he withholds judgment and instead gives them blessing, great blessing. Why? Because Jacob's, offspring is dwelling there for many generations for 400 years and becoming a great people right to fulfill the other promise right so you see god using an evil nation uh, for good <laughs> and he does that very clearly also the the uh, the nation of the amorites he says well it's not going to be judged right now because their sin is not yet full or complete. So we should take to heart this lesson, just understanding our current time, shouldn't shouldn't we? We wonder, why does God not judge this or that? Well, he didn't then judge it either and waited for the right time. God works his plan according to the right timing. Now, God is going to confirm his promise to Abraham of a son by revealing the perfect timing of that provision and that's in chapter 17 i like gail gail please read for us chapter 17 verses 15 through 21 and god said unto abraham as for sarai thy wife thou shalt not call her name sarai but sarah shall be her name and i will bless her and give thee a son also of her yea i will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, 
And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and that his seed after him and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall be beget and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the year next year. Well, so there we see that God's promise will be fulfilled. He even says when at the set time next year. It's all worked out in the mind of God. Now it's been revealed. There have been 24 years of waiting from when God gave the promise originally. 24 years of waiting. Okay, much has happened in between. Remember Hagar and Ishmael. Notice though, here Abraham in failure, to take God at his word, he says, oh, if only Ishmael could be the the bearer of this blessing. Only Ishmael, if only he could be. Instead of the one that God promises, no. Ishmael will be blessed because he was Abram's offspring and God had already promised to bless his offspring. But the covenant will not be established with him, you see. So there'll be judgment inherent in that. Ishmael is going to be off on the sidelines. Yes, there'll be a great nation that comes from him, but the blessings that will come through Isaac are so much greater. So very, very much greater. Oh, my. So we see that theme again, that God's uh, elective plan is worked out in the realm of judgment. Okay, and it goes on like that Um, with Lot, the whole matter of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth. Sodom and Gomorrah, we won't look at it today, but Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. Right. But Lot and his two daughters will be destroyed delivered you see the two go together judgment on the one side deliverance calling on the other okay now then we get down to sarah she still hasn't brought forth the child but time is passing right and uh in chapter 21 i'd like lydia to read verses one through three of chapter 21 lydia And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set of time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Lydia, very good. Okay, so notice again, it, it again says, at the set time the Lord had said, right? So all of this is according to the plan of God. If only God's children would wait on the Lord for him to work the details out. But so often we take matters into our own hands. So Isaac, the son of the promise, is finally born in God's good timing. And the blessings would ultimately fall there 
according to God's plan of selection and election. But other sons, in this case Ishmael, would also be blessed since the Lord had promised that before. And now, so that we aren't totally ignorant about what's going on, remember Abraham also has a lot of other sons from other wives, okay? So there will be some confusion there, <laughs> you can be sure, but the blessing is going to be on uh, Isaac. Okay. Well, again, our theme is underscored here. The uh, blessings according to God's choice uh, occur within the sphere of the judgments. They go together. Now, to conclude today, I'd just like us to see how God protects Isaac because, or at least intends to protect Isaac because there are many enemies. We need to remember that Satan's always looking to conflict with and oppose, if he can, the plan of Almighty God. So he is learning how God is working one step at a time. That's the fundamental principle of biblical interpretation. We have to understand Satan is not omniscient. All he can do is listen to what's said. He doesn't have the spirit to interpret it either. So his understanding even of God's word is lacking. But he can watch and he can see what God does. He can see the evidence. Satan knows all of his own works perfectly, so he can discern between what he's doing and what God does. So it's easy for him to see what God is doing. Then to draw conclusions from that is something he does, and he learns very well. And so now what he needs to do, since Isaac's been singled out, Isaac will be born and he will have the blessing. Okay, And so it will be through the son of the promise that the blessings will flow to accomplish the promises of a great nation. Remember, that promise has been made and Satan's wondering how does God intend to carry that out? And so he's going to watch now Isaac very carefully. And what is a prime way that he may bring Isaac down into rebellion, and sin. Well, of course, through marriage. Okay, so Elizabeth, would you read for us about that? Genesis 24, verses 6 and 7. But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Okay, thank you, Elizabeth. So even though there are still sinners, all are sinners until they're saved, and even though Abraham's uh, family is composed of sinners and also they're great idolaters. <laughs> we know about that from the rest of the story, right? But the benefits in Sarah's mind outweighed 
the challenges that would yet come. And so she says, I cannot sleep until uh, my son uh, has a wife from there rather than here, right? Uh, after all, uh, Ishmael had taken a, a wife uh, from here rather than there. And the consequences for Sarah were well known. Uh, they lived in the realm of idolatry and not in the realm of faith. Okay, so that's what we read of there. She sends him off with the great hope, and then God fulfills uh, her wishes well in bringing forth Rebecca. Okay. Let's go on, though, our final point today. The Lord divides Isaac from his other, uh, from Abraham's other sons uh, by providing the blessing. And that's in Genesis 25. Genesis 25. See, Abraham's not done yet. He's going to prolifically bring forth many. Let's say Abraham took a wife, 25.1. Her name was Keturah. And she bore to him. And there is a long, long, long list of sons and grandsons, all of Keturah. Hmm. But it says in verse 5, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So Isaac is the one with the blessings. But of the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet, let, yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived a hundred, threescore and fifteen, a hundred and seventy-five years. And Abraham gave up the ghost died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered unto his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, the field which Abram purchased of the sons of Heth. There was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and there are those words we looked at before. And Isaac dwelt by the well, Laharoi. <laughs> the well of the one who sees <laughs> the sinner and the sinner endures. Uh, amazing thing, right? So here we see the principle of division revealed very clearly. God separates. Some are blessed, but in the end, when the time is full, only the chosen ones will be blessed as God had intended. There's certainly lessons here for us to grasp, right? Now, God goes forward then, brings a wife forth for Isaac, and she is barren. But finally, because Isaac prayed to the Lord, Genesis 25, 21, 
The Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled within her. And uh, what came out were twins. <laughs> the first comes out all red and hairy, <laughs> and they called his name Rough, or Esau, meaning all rough, not smooth like one had hoped. Not smooth like the second twin that's born. Uh, they called Jacob because he was grabbing onto and holding the foot of his brother that had just been born. And so he's called Jacob, meaning supplanter or even thief. <laughs> and so it was. Isaac was 60 years old when she bare them, it says. So we see the dramatic effect. God uh, brings forth these twins. But uh, the principle actually is revealed because uh, one is uh, going to judge the other and God's going to be involved in the whole thing. Uh, this is, of course, something you, you know well in how Jacob works out <laughs> not only getting the blessing, you see, and the but not only the birthright, but also the blessing, because after all, he's not the eldest. The eldest is the one with the birthright. But here we see in chapter 25 that uh, there's a little deal made. Esau comes in from the field. Jacob's been brewing a, a, a pot of stew. And uh, Esau is famished, and uh, Jacob says, oh, well, you think you're going to die if you don't have some of my uh, broth? Well, I'm happy to provide that. Just swear over to me, give me your birthright. So it was rightful Esau's, and Esau made a deal. Not respecting the value of this, or the way this would, of course, be an offense to his hair his uh, ancestors, right? He'd passed it down one generation to another, but he gives it over to Jacob. And uh, so it is. <laughs> the birthright then is Jacob's and later even the blessing. And uh, that's how this story continues. And uh, we reached the end point here for today. But surely you see how God even uses human weakness, like Esau's weakness there, right? And Jacob's really, his tendency is always to take that which is not his, right? And God even blesses through that. Why? Because he's made certain promises and he has certain plans. And we already saw how he works through weakness to bring forth great glory. If he didn't, we wouldn't be here today. And so his election is divine election and through selection, through division, inherently always brings judgment on the one side, but blessing on the other. Otherwise, again, we would not be here today. Well, how does this affect our understanding of how God is working today? It surely should. May it be so. God is working out a grand and glorious plan under grace. That's where we dwell. That's where we receive blessing. It may seem like there are only a few, 
Well, when has there been a great number? <laughs> we don't see it here on the pages of Scripture, do we? But God works nevertheless and accomplishes his eternal purpose. And that we're right in the center of that, that we are the center of God's working. It's not nations and states and world this, world that. Satan's working. It's his world. He's the prince of this world, right? But God is drawing many to himself by the word of truth. That's where the power is. That's how God works and praise his name for it. Amen. Well, does this uh, cause you to be blessed and to bring great thanksgiving to God? I hope it does. And are there any questions or comments before we close today? It's a lot to, to take in, isn't it? <laughs> okay, well, praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you. What a blessing it is to know you and to have a, a personal relationship. Father God, we have been encouraged by your word. I pray that those who haven't been with us today uh, can take advantage of the same scripture and this, have the same blessings uh, using other means. Father, I thank you that more are doing just that as the days and weeks passed and that uh, many are blessed through the word and uh, pray Father that we personally would individually in the opportunities that you provide be strengthened, encouraged and bold and yet to share with kindness and understanding with those around us that others may hear before you wrap up this dispensation of your abundant grace and call us into your presence and glory. So, Father, we would pray that you would continue to do that which is your nature, that which has always been your interest and desire to uh, provide great blessing to your people. And I pray that the enemy would be restrained and that we would be allowed to enjoy your blessing, Father, day by day until you call us up yourself and father we look forward to that day being joined together with those that have gone before praise your name our dear ones who've gone before and then to be joined together with the lord jesus there and then at your right hand for all eternity what a blessing to look forward to thank you again heavenly father in christ's name amen